Uh, all right, welcome to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. This is episode 307. Night of the Living Damon. Oh. <laughs> this is Tony Bemis. Jay LaCroix. Phil Parada. And Tom Lawrence. Night of the Living Damon. Yeah, uh, this is uh, related to the new attack, Zombie Load. So we figured we'd riff off of this and first get into what's a zombie process, which is totally unrelated to zombie load. Um, mm. But when a process dies on Linux, it isn't removed from memory immediately. Its processor descriptor stays in memory, and in the PS table, you can see that the process has Z for zombie. And when this happens, uh, you cannot kill the zombie uh, because it's already dead. So you have to kill its parent. However, if you're running something like an NFS server and it it goes down and comes back, well, you can't really kill that parent. So what do you do besides reboot the box? Yeah. Now I've run into that. Then you shoot the other node in the head. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so that that is like what you'd have to do is like kill That's, off the other like the the remote system that connects to it. Uh, you would have to reboot uh, the server with the zombie process. Someone else out there on the internet probably has a much better solution to this, but that's typically what I've done. I wonder if I've you can put in well. like an IP tables, uh, like firewall rule to drop the traffic, and that would would that cut off the traffic, or does it have to like no. gracefully close? The problem is that uh, the uh, descriptor is still open on the affected system, and you can't kill you can't kill that process because it's uh, dead. Probably have to go into the page tables and f manually free the RAM and then free the CPU forcefully, which is probably going to have way more problems than it would <laughs> just to reboot the darn thing. But if I'm not mistaken, it, it, the process is actually not using any resources at that point when it's a zombie. It's just annoying because it's on the list of running things in the PS command, even though it's not actually doing anything, but it's just annoying to have something there that you have no control over. It still is using some memory, though, because it has the process descriptor. And if uh, you've got some sort of issue where you're continuously generating zombies, you could exhaust all of the PIDs available to a system. And then wow. you have an even bigger problem. Then yeah. it, could take a over zombie your, it could take over your entire server. <laughs> <laughs> bum, bum, bum. bum. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a nice TV series. Somebody should get on that. Yeah. Right. Well... I don't, you know, we like to think our job is interesting, and Hollywood really makes it look interesting. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll just get some recordings of I mean, um, the Walking Dead, and we'll just um, put like captions over each of the zombies, like what process name they are, and just, <laughs> just not, kind of laugh at it yeah. as they're getting shot. And I'm not trying to imply what I that I don't find my job interesting. It just doesn't display well as a TV show. I thought Mr. Robot was one of the few times. I don't know if any of you've watched it, but they, yeah, it was I've one of the few it. shows that I thought did a good job of offering a reasonably realistic, I'm not, someone's going to crucify me if I say realistic, but reasonably realistic view of hacking um, and what's involved with it without too much glitz and glamour. Because, um, you know, we all remember Hack the Planet and the original Hackers movie with the 3D file system that they were flying through. Hack yeah. the oh, Gibson. Yeah. Hack the Gibson. That's, <laughs> it's, it's that's so bad. It's good. It's, so, it's one of the best movies ever. <laughs> it is. I still like the movie. Can't, you can't ruin my nostalgia of it. Um, <laughs> crash override for the win. Crash override for the win. All right, enough of that. So uh, we had Penguin Con. That yep. was our last episode. So what's happened since Penguin Con, Tony? Penguin Con, uh, uh, working. Uh, so I got a new job 
is uh, in full force now. I'm doing my night shift, and uh, we are today. We recorded a few hours later than normal. Um, We're still morning. So see? yeah, because all mm-hmm. this is posted. We're not doing it live, so it's still a Sunday morning Linux review. It's just not the seven in the morning Sunday Linux review. It's the Roughly, we started at 10 a.m. Sunday review. Right. Yeah, we don't want to rename it the Sunday brunch Linux review. Yeah, we're not ready for brunch. We're still morning. We haven't quite <laughs> hit brunch yet. So. Right. How's your sleep schedule? Uh, it's it's tough figuring out because I, then I still have errands and stuff I need to do. Cause, so when I get into the middle of the week, I'm like, well, I need to mow my lawn, but I can't do it at 2 a.m. So then I have to get up. Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, Yeah. So it's been tough trying to go back and forth, and okay, uh, but I'm starting to get it figured out. Do you feel? Do you, how do you hide in your room? Like, do you have like the blackout? Uh... No, actually, we have uh, uh, we have regular curtains, like uh, vertical curtains, uh, and they're uh, they're blocking cur- curtains, but um, not blackouts. Okay. So it's I, I I'm sleeping fine like that. I'm like really maxing out. Hold on a second. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm sleeping fine like that, and the hard part is uh, when the kids are around and they start running around and yelling and screaming, then uh, the sleep goes uh, away. Yeah, All goes right. away. <laughs> I think that's one of the challenges. Is you already, you talked about just how difficult the boot camp was and all the knowledge they had to shove into your head to yeah yeah now us it's from time the to, internet. Yeah, yeah now it's time to start applying that knowledge and <laughs> I have all sorts of notes and I have to look at it and say. Oh yeah, that's what that note means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Context. Very cool. So it's new, Jay. Uh, so let's see. Besides the fact that I'm surprised I could still hear after the Seven Dust concert that oh. I was at just last <clears throat> night in Flint, um, and then then here first thing in the morning, it basically work uh, similar to you actually. So. It's it's just been a lot a big workload. Uh, have someone like on vacation for a couple of weeks, so you know how that goes, generally speaking. But um, other than that, YouTube, same old, same old. I'm doing some more tutorials. I'm focused more on tutorials right now, to get kind of caught up and to re-record some of my older ones. Some of my older ones were recorded on some really um, horrible hardware, like a D630 Latitude, with um, the internal mic. Those are some of my first videos that I've ever done. So I so I just re-recorded the Arch Linux series. And then I'm like, you know, I really should go back to when I was using that old Latitude. And the audio quality is just so heinous that I probably really should re-record those. And it's a massive mm-hmm. workload, but I think it's the right thing to do. So yeah. I think I need to get that done. Considered, though, it's, that is far better than someone on a YouTube video typing into a Microsoft Windows notepad. Yes. You having oh, to follow yeah. along with that. <laughs> Yes. I will, if I see a notepad on the screen when the video starts, <laughs> I immediately click it off. I don't understand, uh, maybe they don't have a microphone or why That's, they might do that, but it's... Um, I think it's because they're probably non-native English speakers, would oh, be my okay. guess. But there's a lot of that out there, um, and it's kind of the inspiration for my YouTube video. I looked at a couple of videos, I'm like, there's 50,000 views on this, and it's not one, it's partially inaccurate because I actually took the time to watch it Mm -hmm. uh, because I wanted to understand something I thought better. I only got aggravated because they didn't understand it very well and then they had some cheesy music that I had to mute and watch a notepad in Windows being typed on. They have a platform so of course now here they are with this incorrect or partially incorrect thing and it's... And I realized that you know there's value if... I never like to complain about anything unless you're going to do something about it so my Mm -hmm. do something was I'm going to make a PF Sense video when that's where it spiraled out of control to the subscribers i have (laughs) 
Hey, hey. <laughs> and I have 800. I just published 801 videos so far. Wow. So congrats. Yeah, yeah. congrats. That's nice almost exactly twice what I've done, it's actually. Just, I'm obsessive, I guess. But well, it's good. It's, even it, at you, 400 you make, videos, that's still pretty good. Yeah, yeah 400 I'm, something at this point. It was probably 412 or something. But So I finished the Arch Linux series. I re-recorded it. It's one of my my most popular ones. And I this done, and they're being edited. And then I also, I was kind of multitasking. I also finished a Linux Mint Beginners series as well, which I've never done before. And that's done. I was multitasking. That also is being edited. So now when those two are done... I'm going to switch to redoing my first two ever, like the Linux commands for beginners, and then the bash scripting one. And then I'm going to go into like Debian and then CentOS, depending on which order the new versions come out in. So it's going to be pretty uh, heavy in tutorials for a little bit well, before I, I get back to my normal scheme. Long before you're on the show here, I learned Tmux by watching your videos. You published a few, probably two years ago now. On and that might be one I might re-record because I have oh, to good. double check that one. I have to double check that one because I think that one may or may not have been with um, crappy audio. I'll have to check. It was enough so, that I understood it. So, yeah, I just think I I, I want to try to get an even level of quality here. So, I mean, I I did pass six million uh, views, awesome. and then yeah, for some reason, like something happened, and then like several weeks or two weeks or three weeks after I hit 6 million, I am at 6.3 million, which to put it in context, the channel started in 2011 and it took me until now to get to 5 million. But then all of a sudden, or now, excuse me, it took me until now to get to 6 million. And then now it's 6.3 um, already. So something seems it, to be kind of happening. Well, cause it's cumulative. And if you, every time I post a video, like I did a video on Freenas, mm -hmm. my Freenas videos from two years ago have a bunch of comments on them now. And there was a view spike because the suggested video, mm -hmm. if you liked and watched to the end one person's free NAS video, if they have another one, it recommends that. So mm -hmm. every time you retouch a topic and you re especially if you take the I don't the find that to be the case on my end. I don't usually see comments on older videos when I do uh, new ones for some reason. There, Well, it kind of depends. Like, for example, I did uh, free NAS combating ransomware and mm -hmm. how that works. And I reference, I, I mentioned it in a video Partly purposely, but it's because, you know, snapshots in this. I, I didn't want to reiterate the entirety of the other videos that go in depth on the two other topics of how right. to do replication and that because I have two separate videos on it. If in case your topics people don't understand, but because I say I have videos on that, then I also made them the end screen suggestion. Uh, to those videos because they're exactly relevant. Like, here's the mm -hmm. top piece of knowledge you need, and here's the links to my entire tutorial on FreeNAS. And, of course, it always spikes the how to get started with FreeNAS video, which is how do I even load it? So some gotcha. people some people go, I know how to, I didn't know how to do snapshots. And other people go, I didn't know about FreeNAS. So depend, <laughs> they'll, they'll pick a different path of uh, choose your own adventure. One, one thing, <laughs> that's, that's cool. One thing that I have done that I think might be helping is I had like a playlist for each series, but now I added additional playlists for each topic, like Arch Linux, Debian, mm -hmm. and then anything tagged CentOS, Debian, or whatever it is, regardless of whether or not it's in a series or if it's just a one-off yep. review, they all get populated there. So people that want to follow a very specific topic can yeah. stay on that topic. But it's just it's just a lot of fun. So as of today... I think I'm up to video six on Arch Linux that has uploaded. I think the net, the final ones will be out next weekend. And then Wednesday should be the debut of the Linux Mint series if I can uh, do everything in time. So it's learnlinux.tv in case 
uh, someone didn't yeah. already know and we that. We have it linked and, um, on the site. Yeah. But, uh, but that keeps me pretty busy, so as a side effect of that, I'm not as caught up on the news today as I would like to be, preferably. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually blame work, because I usually have time to read the news. But, um, yeah, but that's basically me. Very cool. In my neck of the woods, um, just grinding the midnight oil, uh, lots and lots of work stuff has been going on. Uh, but it's fun. It's good. Hard troubleshooting. Um, keeps me on my toes. Work stuff seems to be a common theme. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've i got a garden planted, uh, which is a nice break from all of the work. I've got uh, all sorts of different little vegetables starting to pop up, and that's a that's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, when I get stressed during the, during the workday, I can go outside and look at actual results of hard labor rather than waiting for uh, servers to get fixed or code to get reviewed, that kind of thing. Um, it's nice to have that uh, mental disconnect. So is, is it, it like the feeling of running like an Ansible script on your servers, but it's actually physical and seeing like the, the sprouts come yeah. up? <laughs> Same feeling, but it's a different Phil know, will have context. his plants running on Ansible soon enough. Plantable. <laughs> Plantable. I, I really want to uh, get into an automation system for watering these plants every morning and night. Oh, yeah, there's a Raspberry Pi project for that. Sure, there there's, a, there's actually and quite there's, a few in the garden. Isn't there a garden bot or something like yes. that? that it's, uh, it's like a uh, 3D printer or a CNC machine that oh. goes around and, like, plants yes. and waters. Very and, cool. Yeah, we've covered oh, yeah. that a couple of years ago. That one's that. really cool. Yeah. Um, it's Yeah, it basically works like a 3D printer, but it can plant and do uh, things. So you set up each yeah. structure over the top of your gardener so you have a common size like you do uh the garden plants and then you like plant this one and it puts them all in in rows (laughs) and then you move it and set it on top of the next planter and it drops them all in in perfectly organized rows and as someone who grew up doing that i am so happy to see that robot take that job because that is not (laughs) because you know that's my thing it's like i i completely get the mental break from farming things that but as someone who spent a lot of time with my grandfather farming i'm okay not to do it now (laughs) Like, I feel as though I've done it enough. (laughs) I planted not just a tomato plant, but, like, an acre of tomato plants Mm. on my knees on a little roller thing. And, yeah, that's hard work. (laughs) Robots should do that. (laughs) Or if you have a small garden, it's probably relaxing when you deal with robots and scripts and computers all day. (laughs) Just as long as they're not Cylons, I'm okay. All right. We'll go with that. that. (laughs) Uh, So how about you, Tom? Uh, you know, lots of work, of course, uh, as I said, keeping with the theme, but uh, I was, we able to spin off our How They Got Hacked into its own channel uh, because we have a few people that want to sponsor and do that. There's some big product companies reaching out to us. We thought that was kind of fun. So we pushed the How They Got Hacked into our own channel, and we're going to start digging up some more hacking tutorials, pen testing stuff, uh, and posting more of that on there. But as the channel grows, it's been a lot of fun to cover some of the security topics, it is interesting when you get a C-level person calling you on your cell phone at 1130 at night to give you a heads up on a story, which was fascinating. Because oh. the person emailed me and says, can you call me? I'm like, because it's a big security police person. And I'm like, hmm, I hope I'm not on a list somewhere and he's giving me a courtesy call because I've <laughs> spoke with this person before. And no, they just wanted to be a heads up. They said, I can't talk about it because we're part of the breach team, but I can tell you what you want to know. X and S and this is going to happen. And I'm like, that's cool. It goes, yep, I just got off a plane. I'm going to get on another plane. So have a great time. Uh, go dig on that story. And uh, so I did dig on that story. Man. That is amazing. Yeah. You know, he's a big, head level big company. He likes our channel. He watches how they got hacked. Uh, Cloudflare, um, 
Someone from Cloudflare sent us a message that they were watching it at the Cloudflare Center, one of the engineers. So, oh, that's cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, they reached out to us. So we've had a few like big people because um, there's a crossover of people who work in that hacking space that have these jobs. I mean, you've worked in offensive security if you've had that experience maybe. And you don't, no one really wants to admit to it. Maybe they're a black hat in the past. But obviously that black hat training is what makes people really good at defending. Um, so they, they kind of like talking about all this stuff. It's, that's been a lot of fun. Um, other than that, um, dealing with lots of the, uh, you know, updates and open source stuff and like you said, with all these the patches, we're trying to make sure everything is patched, you know, based on recent discoveries of things. Uh, mm-hmm. Last week was just like, we couldn't believe by Wednesday how many different things had to be patched. And I don't know if, I don't know if any of us had in the show notes, but like there's the WhatsApp and things like that, but there were a bunch of other minor uh, security flaws, the Linux kernel one, everything else. So we made sure, you know, everything uh Double checked, everything was up to date. So, yeah, yeah, that just that patching stuff keeps busy. And then I got tied up for three hours updating firmware for a client on site. So, and that's actually when I leave here. That's what I'm going to go do. Is uh, I got to go move one box back to a tower for a big outdoor Wi-Fi project. So, that's going to be a fun one to do a review on because it's a series of uh, you couldn't do any underground cabling. So there's an entire series of site-to-site units that broadcast across an entire stadium, parking lot, point-of-sale system properly. They actually are willing to invest in security. So point-of-sale is all on separate lockdown Wi-Fi, separate from even the staff, separate again from uh, the media that needs to tie into Wi-Fi for uh, tweeting about the games. So everything is all segregated in proper VLANs. All SSIDs are hidden. just has one extra layer, separate passwords, and uh Really well. I'm going to do a video about it because it's it's not just a Wi-Fi install. It's a Wi-Fi install. The way I actually they had no problems with my planning, so hmm. they like I I proposed that I said it's more difficult, but that you should separate and have four separate Wi-Fis, and here's what each one would be used for. I should build a VLAN and rules on each one. No problem. Do it. Oh, okay. It's going to cost more. Uh, they'll go ahead. Put it in all managed switches. All everything. All right, we're good with this. I don't. All right. So. You don't cool. usually get that at clients. Usually there's some, we met in the middle on security. Yeah. <laughs> I like those people. Yeah, so uh, that went, well, it's not like it's super expensive, but it, obviously security comes at the price of inconvenience. Uh, you know, we've had people right. turn off MFA because they didn't like doing it, but obviously that never goes well in the long term. <laughs> so how tall is this tower that you have to climb today? Ooh, I think the Wi-Fi is only mounted about 50 feet up, but I think the tower is 88 feet tall or something. We went to the top mm. because I wanted to, because it got a platform. <laughs> <laughs> Serious thrill issues, dude. Ah, yeah. I'm not afraid of heights. Just that sudden stop at the end of falling. <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. I respect gravity. Um, I'm not too worried about it, but yeah, it is. I don't know. I was afraid of heights, and I just kept doing it till I wasn't. So that's, hmm. I don't know. Maybe I should try that. I don't know if it works for everyone. I have no guarantees. I don't know why it worked for me. I just kept repeating in my head, I'm a rational human being. Statistically, this is not falling. But when it's windy, it is scary being up on a tall tower like that. Yeah, but on one of those uh, uh, space needle type things. Yeah, they sway um, more than you would expect. uh, at Niagara Falls. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it, I was fine because it's completely enclosed. But when I got up to the top, and you, the, it's fence. It, yeah. It's not even like a wall. It's fence, and you feel the air of being up that high hit you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to fall. It's fenced in. But you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Anxiety. All right. Very cool. So we're going to go on to uh, listener feedback, right? Yeah. What do we got? I've got one here uh, for a distro review request for uh, Rosa R11, the KDE4 version. This came from listener Jan. Um, 
he would like to see this. And he says that he's been a longtime Linuxer dating back to the Red Hat 7 and Mandrake 8 days. Um, maybe we can get Mary uh, to do a distro review for this. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she did one a long time ago. Uh, and she liked it so much, I'm sure she'll do it again for us. That'll be cool. She likes KDE. Yeah. She really does. Um, I'm looking through. I don't think, I don't remember seeing anything yeah. since PenguinCon. Nope. No, I don't either. Nope. The only other thing that had popped up was uh, we had a typo. Thank you, Tony, for fixing it. Oh, yeah, the... Yeah, the link, the download link. If you clicked on the link right on the web page instead of uh, using the RSS feed, then that that was the link that was uh, yeah. broken. Tom that, had the typo. Tony fixed it. Yeah, that was reported by listener Craig. So thank you very much for having our backs. Yes. we should definitely come up with some sort of system that tries to download these files and validate them. Yeah, like you, like I should click on it after. I <laughs> 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 That's um, one way to do it. Well, it was one of those times we were having problems with it because we still haven't solved the problem where it won't upload the file. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I have to send the file to Tony. He's got to manually put it in. Um, maybe this week we'll work on a better solution for that. We uh, have to spend an hour automating that one-second click. Yes. <laughs> we have to. I have lots of space in my other servers. Maybe I'll just upload to one of mine and just link it to that. i got a digital ocean server. I do all my hosting for other things. So mm-hmm. I'll just stick it in there and... Well, whatever. It's an easy fix that way. I just okay. like it, that way. It's one process instead of me sending it to Tony and Tony come back. I don't, Tony's got to sleep at some point. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. As long as uh, everybody's using a RSS feed reader or just clicking on the link on the website, then it shouldn't be an issue with switching like where we actually store the files. Right. The uh, the only issue comes up is some people try to like write their own scripts, guessing what our our file name no, is going to be. No, don't guess. Use RSS. Yeah. Yeah, you'll have a you'll have a bad time if you if you guess. Yeah. So Yeah, that was it. Um in a potential interview coming up, uh, which I need to reply to. We'll talk about that after our show, uh, with a local hosting company talking about Linux. Yeah, that'd so. be cool. Mm-hmm. All right. And then uh, moving over to what, distros. So did you guys see any cool distros coming up? Red Hat 8. Yep, I'm excited for that. And following shortly behind it is going to be uh, CentOS 8. Um, the build cycle and status on that is, it looks to be at least a month out. Hmm. Well, that's not too um, terrible. We've got, we've got a link in the show notes uh, to that uh, status page. Um, they're currently in their first iteration of the build loop, but then they have an untold number of build loops to go through um, so they can validate that all the packages are working as intended, all of the branding has been uh, switched from Red Hat to Scent, that kind of stuff. Cool. You know, not in the list, because uh, it would have just fallen out, um, so we didn't cover this in PaymentCon, but Parrot OS, which I switched to, I formatted my laptop, loaded Parrot OS as my daily driver, and one thing about that is... How do you keep your name in the news when you're a rolling release? I thought about that because it's like you're going to fall yeah. off quickly. So they right. do have release announcements, but they actually – you don't have to do like full disk upgrade to release it because mm. it's a rolling release. So that's been a learning experience um, on how the release cycles are. I suppose every six months when you respin your ISO, then uh, that would be a good time to do it. Yeah, I think that's what they do. They spin the ISO with a version change. I'm trying to All you'd have to do schema. is tag it. 
yeah, just if, if a rolling release can be tagged just like anything else. Yeah. So they mm -hmm. could tag it when they have a certain number of new features or something. And I think Manjaro does something similar. I don't remember how they do it exactly. They have they have versions, but they're rolling just as much as anyone else. It's it's been cool running it as a desktop OS because I've run, you know, Kali or Parrot in a VM, more more so Parrot than Kali. Um, and having all those tools running on bare metal hardware at my fingertips anytime I want to use them to uh, start something is like cool. Just one less step. I don't have to start a VM. I just turn my laptop on and I'm like I want to fuzz this URL. I want to grab this That's data, awesome. and it's just there. And yeah. the tools are constantly updated because I was when I look through the you know the updates, it's like they're updating so many tools. That it's like a four point six gig install because um, mm, wow. it sets up like OpenVAS and Metasploit and everything on there. So it's, it's impressive. That's awesome. I'm still running Pop! OS. I've, I've, I've stayed with this longer than probably any distro for a very long time. On my time. desktop, Pop! OS all day. And I keep on finding things about them that make me like them more. They don't brag enough. They, they, it, I, I saw in their Mattermost chat, of all places, they posted a message that just casually says, oh, yeah, we just updated to a new NVIDIA driver that eliminates, um, eliminates screen tearing. And it's available right now, just update. And there's some other things surrounding their NVIDIA driver, something to do with uh, kernel mode setting that they also put in there. And it's just in their chat. It's not even on a website anywhere. And, um, you know, it's things like that that kind of keep me on that distro. Yeah. But it, I think if you're a gamer, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I didn't know this, uh, but it was covered in one of Level 1 Tech's videos. Uh, Pop! OS also has the ability with uh, AI systems, The some of the... Uh, machine learning tools already pre-configured and built in. They ha they have a demo oh, wow. video, and they said, you know, you can call it Ubuntu with some polish, but uh, by the way, if you try to do this in Ubuntu, you have a lot of manually configuring. When you do this, some of the development tools, they're just ready to go. Like, just type this, like yeah. one command, deploy, and uh, some of the machine learning. I think it was TensorFlow, one of them. It yeah, was doing a demo one, but like it's that. all pre-set up in uh, Pop! OS. Like, they took the time to pre-configure it for you. Hmm. So I, I was talking to them in the chat, and I'm like, you guys probably should brag more because they're talking about all the things that they did. And I'm like, I think I'd, I'm going to do a video, and I'm going to go over all the – I've already done a video like this, but what I decided to do is go over a more technical video that goes over the very technical details of what they're doing. Everything that makes Pop! And, OS not Ubuntu. Exactly. And then three of their developers have agreed to answer any questions that I have and give me any technical details that I might want to share in the video. So I'm going to actually that's, probably that's awesome. record it in a week or two Yes. Uh, if, if I can get that done in time. So that's what my goal is to kind of highlight what they're doing to differentiate this from Ubuntu because I think that it really needs to be out there. Because it's one of those things when you know, we're on DistroWatch here uh, – part of the Linux podcast still, but it's um, understanding the differentiators between these different distros. Uh, sometimes it's not highlighted enough of why right. I want to run it. And if you're trying to get into right. Linux, it just creates confusion. Is one just prettier than the other? That's pretty much one a new user sees. I think I like the background they use in that one. Is that why I should use this one? You know what I mean? They don't know. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. What's worse is the oh. Pop! OS release notes are very small. Like you look at the yes. 1904 release notes and, and you'll say, okay, the new theme. There's a refresh option. That's pretty cool. And then there's a couple of things. A dark mode. We already had it, but now it's in the menu. But then when need? you actually look into what they're doing, there's so much that's not there. A hype team. They need a hype person. Yes. But in the big picture, you know it would be kind of cool? This would be a big undertaking. Is create like a tabbed uh, wiki page comparing different 
like let's say they're all debt we start with a debian base or yeah. a bunch of base distro and then a checkbox makes them different like a matrix so you could sort by the differences in some of them then you could kind of create a crossover what's the same and what's different when you look at the distros i think that would be distro differences.com we could buy that before you know cause yeah, because we could buy it and uh, get it purchased before we do this in post. So by the time yeah. anybody hears this, we actually already bought it. <laughs> that would be a, of course, you know, we all have ideas for big projects, and we're like, oh, yeah, by the way, I had to go to work today. Yep. Yeah. Someone just fling a bunch of money at us for, and we won't work, and we'll just do things. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just do community projects to make the Linux community yeah, ecosystem go. better for, for everyone. Yeah. And myself. I mean, everyone. Um, I saw that Libra Elec. Uh, has a new update. Uh, typically, I install that on Raspberry Pis that I connect to TVs. Mm -hmm. uh, it runs the Kodi uh, Media Center. And this new release of Libra Elec has um, an unofficial way to stream content from Netflix or Amazon. Wow. And that's very exciting. Yeah. Because oh, then cool. I can just not have to buy a Roku or a Fire Stick or anything like that, and I can reuse Raspberry Pis. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. New version of IP Fire Firewall, so that's out there. Mm -hmm. I haven't used that in a long time, but you know, I'm a big PFSense fan. At some point, I don't have time to play with every distro out there, but there's yeah. some good ones. Yeah, exactly. Every now and then, you find something that checks all the boxes, and it's really hard to use something else just for the sake of using something else if what you have currently works. Mm. Uh, Peppermint oh. Linux is out. Uh, uh, it's or Peppermint OS 10. Uh, looks pretty cool. I I remember playing with it when it first came out, and they were like the Chrome OS before Chrome OS was uh, came out, where they were at that time they were pushing a lot of like just web only kind of stuff. So you you didn't have, um, mm. you know, a lot of stuff installed on the computer. Uh, so it was it was pretty cool at that time, and it looks like they've really uh, moved forward on a lot of it, and it's looking nice. It kind of reminds me of GOS. You guys ever remember the GOS back in the day? No, I very short-lived, but it gained a lot of popularity to the point where it was sold on computers in Walmart. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, and yeah. then they released two major versions. I thought it was a great distro. Then they just went, just disappeared off the face of the planet. Mm. But it's very Chrome OS-like back in the day from what I remember, but it just disappeared. And my favorite color is green, and it had a lot of green, so there's that. But right. Right. They sold them at Walmart, so that was you know pretty cool, I guess. Yeah. Open Indiana? has a new release um, that is based on Solaris. And mm, it's right. uh, uh, Open Indiana and uh, Illumos have native ZFS support. So if you don't want to use FreeBSD, that's a potential option for you. Yeah. That's kernel 5.1 already. Wait, I was looking at Open Mandriva. It was done one above that. Open Indiana has the Mate desktop and a uh, pretty good set of packages. It has an integrated um, virtual box, uh, so it'd be easy to run uh, virtual machines, oh, and, and including the guest editions. So that's uh, really cool. So you can run this as your desktop, but then use a VM of Linux or whatever else you need to get a few things done. Mm -hmm. Might be worth checking out. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's all I could see. Anything else? All right. I guess we're gonna move on to the news. Uh, so, Tom, do you want to start off the news? We'll start off the news here. Let me start clicking the links. All right, we will start with South Korea will ditch Microsoft Windows for Linux. Now, 
I thought this was an interesting title. I don't know how true it is, but it sounds like uh, from commenters and things like that that they're just really slow to iterate there. So while they may be saying this, one, it's not like they just have some love for open source. They mostly go, uh, yeah, that's right, Windows uh, 7 expires next year, and most of our infrastructure is still on Windows 7. So a lot of our... Uh, computer systems are all still running that. My understanding, they still have a problem where a lot of their websites, I've seen people from South Korea talking about this, that you can't access even some websites without IE6 and things like that because they've been so slow to update much of that infrastructure. So um, they are, for as advanced they are in technology in terms of they have lots of high-speed internet, uh, they also have lots of problems. We actually covered a couple years ago one of the large hosting companies in Korea being hacked, and they hadn't updated their systems in like (gasps) eight years. They were running not... There wasn't, they, the only, like, the saving grace was uh, certain things were not vulnerable because they were so old that they didn't have those flaws in there because they hadn't updated. But don't worry, they had enough to get them hacked. Uh, so this has been a problem for uh, a while over there. So it's kind of, it's interesting, um, but it's it's also, uh, I don't know how much it's really for open source because oh, ideally we'd like to see it as a big win. Maybe we'll get more people interested in it, um, but we'll see if it's just them going, we don't want to spend the money on this. We think we're going to run this, but is it real? Is it is it them going, how do we get rid of all these problems we have right now? <laughs> mm. I found an interesting topic on Wikipedia. You can look up the list of Linux adopters, and it's got uh, different countries and governments oh, cool. um, that use Linux all across the globe. Wow. Very cool. It's it's slowly coming. I mean, if you want to solve the problem, and we've talked about this you know, a lot of times, if you want to solve a lot of the government problems we have when it comes to software, Doing things open source just makes so much more sense. Every city has the same set of needs. You know, running, uh, they got to run permits, they got to have uh, bills of water out, things like that. Every city spends a fortune on software, different software, to do the same thing. Why not write one open source, pool your money together? It, you would spend, as I, I know this directly, I know exactly how much cities spend on mm. some of that software, uh, especially the local ones in Michigan. This company's Oh my gosh, it's it's amazing how much they pay. And it's like it's part of their budget concern every time is running all this. And it all runs on SQL, so uh, move it over to an open source platform, make it all, you know, a little bit better and maybe places like Baltimore would still have a city up and running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're they're still in dire straits. They're now 15 days into their um ransomware attack. The whole city is shut down. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, you can't wow. even buy a house there. I tweeted it the other day. Um all housing uh, sales are all on hold because you can't file paperwork with the city and no new businesses can open and no new construction projects can start because mm. no one can do any permitting. That's crazy because this week was a fantastic week to refinance your mortgage. Uh, yep. thank, thank you, Trade War. Yeah, Trade War has been good for mortgages and bad for the ransomware people. Mm. Wow. So that's going to be interesting. Linux kernel prior to 5.08 vulnerable to RCE, remote code execution. So this is interesting. Did you dig a little bit into some of the technical challenges of uh, deploying this, Phil, or you just patched? We patched um, almost immediately as soon as uh, the new packages were available. Yeah, it has an overall 5.9 on the impact score. Um, It sounds like it's non-trivial to do, so it's really difficult so it takes certain circumstances but uh, that's not me saying you shouldn't patch just that maybe your unpatched system has a little bit more survivability (laughs) before it gets completely owned Um, but it's really it's going to be interesting because it's actually attacking the tcp stack so if you have a publicly exposed linux box that handles tcp 
okay, we're all on the internet, so we're going to pretty much say it's all of them. Um, and there's some potential for someone to attack it. It is a serious problem. It's been there for a while. Uh, so, yeah, all Linux kernels prior to 5.08. So that's, yeah. But for a lot of us that have a free BSD box as the ingress to our network. Um, you are fine. You are fine. Yeah. You are fine. That's important. That's one of the reasons. I, you know, I, I got to admit, there's rarely you find these problems in a BSD. Unless you have a proxy that goes from your your BSD box to a Linux box directly from that. And then that could also Sounds be like problem. you got a problem. <laughs> Sounds like you got a problem. <laughs> So NextCloud 16 introduces machine learning-based security and usability features, ACL permissions, and cross-app projects. This is actually really cool. Um, one of the things they're doing here is showing how the Privacy Center uh, lets users see where their data and who has access to it. And it's got, like, global maps they have, and it'll show, like, you know, reverse IP lookup. Obviously, this information can be spoofed, but it's still interesting when you share something out. They're giving you that uh, visibility you have uh, – because you're hosting it. You have their IP. Why not put it all on a visibility map? So this is really kind of cool. Uh, it also is using some type of machine learning. I like. I think they used the buzzword, honestly. It just looks for abnormalities and logins going. You usually don't log in from China, but apparently today you are, which seems suspicious. <laughs> yeah. So um, they have, you know, basically I, uh, things that will flag going, this looks like it might be a problem. It would be really interesting if that could be combined with fail to ban or if, uh, those projects could just be merged. Yeah. There's a few uh, plugins, or, or I think they're built into Nextcloud now for things like that. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and they have uh, two-factor authentication, and uh, yeah, it's really come a long way. Are you on 16? I'm, I actually, I was just looking. I'm on my, I'm logged in right now, and I was trying to f look at what the, uh, what version I'm at, but. You know, someone had pointed out they, they have several Linux servers all uh, facing across an IP block, all with... Uh, it's okay, that's just Phil staying alive. That is a man-machine interface. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, so one of the things that someone had asked, and I'm kind of... I, I don't think this is built in, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, because I said I'd look into it, but I didn't find anything that was already written. Uh, if you have a group of servers, can you fail to ban and synchronize the fail to ban list between all the servers this the moment it happens so if someone tries to hammer away at one server their next step is to go step down the block of ips and this person mm -hmm. has you know a block right. of ips why not synchronize all the servers save them the trouble of banning the person on each server just go ahead and ban them and the other part they wanted was it then to upload to the firewall to add to the block list there that actually i gave the idea what it can be done they also didn't want to pay for the programming process um mm -hmm. Because the person who wrote PF Blocker, uh, I actually reached out to him and said, could you develop this? He's absolutely, but it's going to cost this much. Yeah. So, Because um, you can feed PF Blocker with an internal um, web server, an IP list. So if you publish it to an oh, internal yeah. web server, you just take all those, consolidate there, and PF Blocker will pull from that internal list and add to the block list globally on a schedule. So it'll block those IPs. That's very interesting. My mind went immediately to using Redis as a backing store for um, all sure of these different just, IPs. I'm sure you could just put in a hook or something within uh, Fail to Ban that whenever it writes the IP table rule, that you also just write that that IP address to a file. Yeah. And then you reference PF Blocker to that file. 
Yeah. The way the firewall stops it um, as an end result. And that part's actually really easy. So if it doesn't really take much coding because he was going to do the inside part. Uh, but in terms of how PFSense handles that, you would just you can go to the alias section of PFSense. That's actually how it works now and gets the alias list to what to block. You can put a URL in mm-hmm. an alias list and block those IPs. That's a built-in function of PFSense. That URL can be internal, your own internal IP list. So is a way to do it. I thought that was kind of clever. And the same thing here with, you know, back to the own cloud, that's a way to do it. Because once you see someone poking away, stop them, block them, drop all their packets, um, and they're more likely to give up because they're going to go to the next person who doesn't because there's always a next person who doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've talked to people in the black hat world and they've always said that. Like, yeah, we found two a factor. So we just went to the next place. Unless you are a focused target, they go, ah, that person cares about security. This we don't need to worry about them. Mm-hmm. They're going to be difficult. I don't need difficult. <laughs> Server security for automated scans is basically uh, the same as running away from a bear in the woods yeah. with a friend. Yeah. As long as you're faster than the other person. Well, <laughs> that really is. As long as your password's one character longer than the other guy, yeah. you don't get pwned and they do. <laughs> yep. So, um, and directly related to that, and this is. I'm sorry, the video is in a tiny little box. I don't know why they did that, but I think you can make it full screen. Plus, you can look at the slide deck, but the audio is the important part. Anyways, um, Frank Karlisicek, the CEO of OwnCloud, who then forked his own company into NextCloud, uh, did a whole presentation at one of the conferences. So there's a link to that. So it's kind of neat. Um, it's just put up a week ago, and he talks about the history of why you do this. And this gets into the nuts and bolts of running an open source company and open source development, not just a community project because they had investors. Uh, so it's if you want some of the history of what happened with OwnCloud and NextCloud and how it forked and how things got to where they are, um, and it's also the reason there's not investors in the NextCloud platform the same way. Uh, that's, you know, investors ruin everything. You know, money just breaks it all. And someone always says, but can't we just do this and can't we just invade everyone's privacy and sell data or something, you know? Cause, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? You know, that's what happened to some of the places that Facebook bought. They, I like when those founders that got bought by Facebook leave, like the guys from WhatsApp left because of disagreements with Mark Zuckerberg about the way he did it because he lied. And they're like, wait a minute, he gave you $18 billion for your company. Where do you think all that money came from? Yeah. <laughs> it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't from not selling people's privacy. So when he says, oh, don't worry, we won't invade anyone's privacy, why did you even think to believe him? <laughs> Anyways. Uh, six more devices from Think Penguin certified to respect your freedom. This is actually kind of cool. The Free Software Foundation uh, cares about your parallel ports and a lot of other things. So the Think Penguin has a lot of Linux compatible devices such as parallel pointer, uh, parallel port, uh, printer cables, sound cards, uh, things that are compatible with Linux. They also want to point out that they don't need some type of a closed source firmware blob to make them work because it works with Linux is not the same as actually works with open source because many of these companies offer a closed ubiquitous firmware blob you must low looking at you NVIDIA um, that, uh. <laughs> that yeah. requires it and only because we love NVIDIA and we like our games do we deal with closed source firmware blobs that you know violate our uh, our non-free and trusted open source systems so it makes make Richard Stallman sad. So these are things that make Richard Stallman happy, things that don't require right. uh, anything more than open source drivers to work. So they made a whole list of it. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I didn't. I never really put as much thought in it. NVIDIA is always a thing that comes up. But I guess there's plenty of other devices out there that 
it's just common knowledge like oh yeah they have a compiled firmware binary that you download and make the network card work or make whatever device work on there um you know and it it runs at kernel level so any driver runs at ring zero so you have to be very concerned what runs at ring zero if there's any flaws problems in it uh there was recently through the windows atp system we found out one of the drivers someone made it play out like Huawei was attacking, but it turned out they're not. Um, that company suffers from as much ineptitude as they do potential problems. <laughs> and they had just wrongly implemented the way a driver call was done, at which left a big vulnerability in the system. Mm. Um, when, you, when you look at the whole Huawei uh, debate about a lot of the stuff, um, I've read some of the reviews, and it's another company that just, there's a lot of security flaws in it, not because they're uh, being nefarious, but they're just not quality programmers going in there. So that's... And uh, mm -hmm. that's what scares you when you can't see the source code. You don't know what was left enabled. Zombie load. The impact of zombie load. What was your two favorite lines from this one, Phil? It was the, uh, with the whole MDS zombie load mitigation come at real cost, even if keeping hyperthreading on. Yeah. Uh, Pharonix stated that um, I believe it's a 13 or 16% uh, performance impact. Yeah. Now, I did some breakdown videos on this, and it's um, it's interesting. I'm not super worried about it. I'm not saying we shouldn't mitigate it. I'm not saying the flaw, once you, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, like it may get worse. But it still is a low-yield, slow attack. There's more effective ways to target people. Um, and a lot of these were proved that the i9, the latest version of Intel processors, were more susceptible, but there's two reasons for that. They've gotten better at SMT, so when you have your uh, predictive branches and the separate threads, it can do better prediction, which allows this to work. This works off of the branch prediction and predicting that something else will be running in an adjacent thread. The other side of that is... It's a really fast processor, so we get right. the data out faster. So uh, those of you like me who are running five-year-old i5s uh, don't have quite the horsepower, I'm wondering how long it would take to extract data from it. Probably mm. substantially longer. So the right. attack actually scales down on older hardware. And lab environment versus uh, you know real-world. Real-world environment, I've got nine VMs running on my virtual machine all you know, competing for processor power, uh, which also means they're constantly switching uh, state stage, uh, it's called page tables, in and out of the processor. Um, so whether or not, what level of uh, things can you extract out of there becomes a little bit more of a wild card. I kind of want to test it. I might compile one of these um, and figure out how to compile it because the instructions seem to have a lot of real specifics to make it work. But I want to see how this works, see how it plays out. But so far, nothing I've seen made me go, oh my gosh, it instantly just lets all the data out of the CPU from adjacent VMs. I believe the video um, that they have on the zombie load um, page was run over about 24 hours Correct. and they extracted uh, the root um, hashed password. Root hashed password. Yeah. Oh. So they mm. definitely got, you know, a critical piece of information out of there running local on that machine. Um, as it, as the unprivileged user. So as the you, unprivileged user, if yes. You have, um, if you have a system at work or at home uh, or you share a system with a friend or something, they could run this and steal your, your hashed password. Yep. Or whichever other piece of data on your system that they could find. Yeah. Mm. So it's... Definitely a real concern, uh, but it's obviously being local. That's what got it down on the CVE score. Um, so 
take that for what it's worth. And we had actually, mm-hmm. and this is at the last, at the PingCon talk, a uh, person who, I actually went to his talk, I know who he is, uh, he spoke at one of the other Linux events, uh, The Mug, I believe, but he does large-scale big data analytics mm-hmm. off of massive server farms. Yeah. And like they said, we run our own code on there, nobody shares our servers, um, so we decided to turn off all the mitigations because speed is of the essence to what right. we do. And because you are totally controlling your code base, it's just one giant number crunching machine that they wrote the number crunching software for. There's that, there's an exception to you don't mitigate it. Uh, if you're a shared hosting environment, please mitigate this. I kind of like my servers up and running. I would like to give thanks to the Zen Server Project for reporting all of these CVEs. They yes. did a tremendous amount of work. Um, and uh, the various cloud vendors that run Zen uh, Amazon notably were quick to respond. Um, mm-hmm. I I updated my Cube's Dom Zero kernel um, as, as soon as the patch was available too. Yeah, there's uh, the Zen project, and by extension, the XCPNG, the open source spin of it to compete with Citrix uh, that I use. Um, they contribute. Oliver Lambert, the head of the, head of the project, contributes a lot of upstream uh, work to them. So there's, it's been great because it's kind of given a lot, even more life to the Zen project and all the code contributes that are going back over there. So yeah, they're on it. That's for sure. It's awesome. So I thought I saw an article, one of them that's talking about the speed decrease or the performance penalty. And when I read it, it was because they were saying the mitigation was to disable hyperthreading. Well, of course you're going to have a massive decrease in speed if you disable hyperthreading on your CPU. Yeah. That, I mean, it's, 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 it's a given, and I don't really call that a mitigation. Yes, it is a mitigation, but at the same time, I mean, come on, who, who's going to actually do that unless, I mean, do, do you really want to lose like half your virtual cores? I mean, your machine <laughs> is going to be crawling. I mean, if it's... I mean, it also taken into consideration how big of a um, likelihood is it that you'd be taken over by this thing if it's requiring local access to your machine or if it's remotely executable. I mean, that well, plays into whether or not you'd want to do that, It's too. a reminder all the time, uh, just in general, that security mm-hmm. is not a guarantee that you will never be secure. Security is about mitigation. So we right. figure out, are those mitigations relevant to you? Are they the ones you need to apply? What do you do on that system? For me, I don't want my kid in live to render any slower. I don't right. run any untrusted code. I'm not a target. So um, I will notice if my CPU is pinned doing something else and no one shares my computer but me. So the mitigations are not, I'm not disabling hyperthreading on my computer. So you don't so. want to wait four hours for a video to render? I, I already do wait four hours for a video. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly my point. Don't want to wait eight. Um, I also plan to mitigate it because I've been wanting an AMD. So this is now my mental justification. Uh, Pharonix reported that AMDs with the zombie load patch received uh, about two to three percent um, performance hit. Yeah, so pretty minor Compa- compared to Intel. Yeah. Do they yeah. have very many laptops nowadays with AMD? Uh, even Dell has them now. They Dell, do. I think Dell, and I want to say Lenovo. Um, oh. Wow. There's more companies coming out with some. Uh, I think one company is looking at making a Threadripper. I think I've seen that in the news somewhere. The gaming laptop. I can't remember which one. They even make a liquid cooled laptop, which is pretty damn amazing. I can't remember which company. I think Acer makes one now. Yeah, yeah that, Lenovo that does blows in my fact mind. have, yeah. have uh, those out. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty exciting. And I'm just building a new desktop. And I may go, I don't know if I'm going to spend the money on a Threadripper, but um, definitely one of the high-end uh, Ryzen's is in order, you know, because hmm. bad Intel. And also, you know, I've been needing some mental justification why my high-end i7 is needs to be replaced. Yeah, <laughs> it's got new gadgets. It's flawed. So there it's we go. Flawed. Yeah, replace yeah. it. Speaking of hardware. 
Pinebook Pro Update. The $199 Linux laptop is almost ready to go. So Pinebook has been around for a little while, and they've made these relatively inexpensive ARM laptops, uh, and they've become rather popular. This is the Pinebook Pro, which boasts a 14-inch 1080 IPS display, magnesium alloy body. I cringe when I say this, but it has a Rockchip RK3399. If you're in the ARM world, Rockchip is, well, they're better than the all-winner CPUs, but not by much. They're not mm. the Snapdragons. Um, but the reviews are pretty positive on this. Uh, 4 gigs of RAM, 64 gig EMCC, and a uh, NVMe SSD optional adapter, USB 3, uh, Type-C, stereo speakers, webcam, headphone jack, and a 10,000 MAA battery. Now, Running ARM and running, these are obviously designed for Linux, not designed to run Windows ARM, but specifically designed to run this. I've been thinking about getting one for the office to make it our field laptop when we go out and have to fix networking issues and things mm -hmm. like that. Because um, it's one, it runs Linux solid. ARM is also very uh, mild when it comes to power usage. It's got a great sleep mode. This is an advantage it has over the x86. There's plenty of Linux distros that are really well supported on here. Um, I believe even the, the Parrot OS that I'm running right now has a version that'll work on this, if I'm not mistaken, that's already like pre-compiled ARM, made to be lighter weight to uh, have the specs that match on there. Uh, but at 199 I'm not right. terribly worried about if it something happens out in the field to it versus some of the other laptops I take with me that are more expensive. So I thought this was a really cool. And they also, if you don't want it in a laptop form, they make a desktop form. They make their... Uh, Pine uh, Rock Pro 64 that you can purchase, which is this mini desktop computer which sells for like 60 bucks. And then you can just plug a monitor and your own adapters into it. So mm -hmm. I've debated about this. Um, they're really novel. They're not going to be high end in terms of performance, but uh, for a cool Linux field laptop at 199 because occasionally I've actually, and I've left my own laptop there to do this, when I'm trying to enumerate a large network and I don't really need to be there for that, I've taken my laptop, locked it down, kicked off some enumeration and run stuff to try to sort out a large network uh, and then come back and gather all the data or SSH back on my laptop. This would be nice so I can just leave a cheap laptop there and let it run all night and find all the magical devices that are all over the network um, and go from there. So pretty cool. I, I think this is a really neat little piece of hardware. And the Pine Company, the Pine Book Company, makes all kinds of neat stuff uh, that's Linux compatible. I think they make some Android compatible uh, devices mm. as well. It looks like a, like a uh, ThinkPad. Yeah, it's 199 I mean, It's bucks. great. I mean, it really does look like a ThinkPad. Yeah. And uh, that was the last on my list of the news. Tony's got some Huawei news. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, pretty interesting. I was, uh, there is an executive order for uh, securing the information and communications uh, technologies and sub services supply chain. Within, <sighs> the US, within the U.S., this executive order is... Uh, something that the president can put down and just make it law, right? Yeah. And uh, there's no voting on it. There's no going through Congress. It's, he can just say, hey, oh, this needs to be done. Uh, so the president has declared a state of emergency related to our um, communications yeah. devices uh, throughout the U.S., and uh, so a sudden emergency of something that we've had for decades, but it's an emergency yeah. now. It yeah, wasn't that's before. what I thought. Well, if you funny. work in security, I, I'm actually fine to say we're in a security emergency a long time. So, yeah, yeah. it's been <laughs> decades we've had an emergency, exactly. So, the, I thought it was interesting that it was just this week he decided to uh, 
to put this out uh, or create this uh, executive order. Um, but what it do- basically what it does is he has created the order that um, the Secretary of Commerce can create this list, and then all companies within the U.S. is are banned from dealing with whatever companies on this list. Uh, so everybody is uh, the list hasn't come out yet. I think he has 50 days to come out with a list, and um, but everybody knows that like Huawei is going to be on there. Because of all the uh, allegations of uh, IP theft and and possible uh, listening in backdoors on equipment, um, um, I want to say Brian Chebert, and he's uh, he's also a podcaster on the Twiat Show. Uh, he's because he works with government agencies in Hawaii at their National Laboratory for Sciences and does a lot of the deployments there for like tsunami early mm-hmm. warning systems and has worked with uh, he managed for a while the BGP routes that come in and out of Hawaii and mm-hmm. very interesting mm-hmm. person uh, he read through some of the Huawei uh, findings how they go through like a third party review and they said they're like an impossible company to review because they're so disorganized yeah. like they're basically cranking out hardware which China has always been really good at, but China does not have, uh, well, essentially they don't, the best way I could describe it, they don't have graybeard engineers um, programming this stuff. Therefore, they have a lot of young engineering team who are making a lot of mistakes and they don't have elders of programming to look up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they just have like their firmware revisions are all over the place. So when you're trying to nail down an audit, it the firmwares don't match versus the hardware you're sent uh, versus the downloads mm-hmm. and uh the back doors that were left in it that weren't really back doors. They were just open telnet sessions because of the debugging stuff that was left in. And they admitted that, oh, yeah, by the way, we did that. And he said it's all amateur mistakes. It's like they're not trying to supplant something nefarious that he's seen. He goes, but, boy, it is a bad product uh, yeah. because there's this. Mm-hmm. In- you know, uh, the British intelligence agency, was it GCHQ? Yeah. They came out with a report that said that exact same thing um, was just earlier this year saying that Huawei is just disorganized and has really bad security pro- uh, uh, policies. Yeah, they said the company's just hard, yeah, hard to audit because they're so messy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cisco should just remove the word security from anything they sell lately. Um, <laughs> I mean, after the debacle with the ASAs and the fact that they just blocked a user agent, and I don't know if you need, but Red Balloon Security, we covered this over and how they got hacked. Red Balloon Security found out that the trusted uh, platform module that Cisco uses can be changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, yeah, we rewrote the firmware on it. We'll trust everything now, essentially. And this is mm-hmm. at their core products. Cisco's own admission is this is not easy to fix. That was Cisco's official response yeah. because it's at the hardware level. The only way this is going to get fixed is to send the hardware back in and reflash it with different stuff. It's not something the user apparently uh. has ability to. Um, and it takes a direct attack against it, which is why we use jump boxes a lot of times to get there to help you know create a layer between. But... This is cracks in the big Cisco name, which is also going to be somewhat publicly exposed on there, too. Uh, and so which company do we choose? The American company with security issues or the Chinese one? I'll at least go with the American company with security issues. Maybe I'm biased living here in America. but <laughs> So there's a second article I have that's um, from the Washington Post that does a little bit of analysis on this uh, executive order. And what's interesting it talks about in here is that uh, a couple years ago, uh, the president tried to do this against um, ZC, ZTE, also, but then realized that they that the Chinese company ZTE uh, relies so much on what the U.S. provides them 
of uh, equipment that they would they would just fail. Like, yeah. And so then the president's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do that. So yeah. the interesting, though, also another thing that's interesting is that uh, recently the president came out and said, oh, we need to be first on the 5G, getting 5G deployed throughout the U.S. Well, you know what's the biggest company uh, producing 5G equipment? Is Huawei. Yeah. So if, if he blocks the Huawei, yeah. then that's going to... Um, We've become it, so dependent so, on it. Yeah, well, so it'll it'll put us back on the time schedule for getting 5G deployed throughout the U.S. Although, I think that security is is a higher need than getting 5G. I agree. So. Yeah, I, I, we'll have to see how it plays out because they've already banned all the cameras. So that's created a big problem with the camera people because they're going, what do you want me to use instead? Mm. Because there's not like an alternative. Uh, I think there's a single company, which is AXIS, is the only American-based company at all that does cameras now. Um, all the oh, other companies wow. kind of got out of the market on it. Um, the most popular ones we install, so the Daihu ones are becoming more popular, and their runner-up is uh, that's a little bit higher end is the Hikvision ones. We do Hikvision. not. Oh yeah, we are. We do not like these. Uh, HK Vision is the company yeah. we all call. Everyone pronounces it Hikvision. Oh okay. Yeah, I, get I don't. It now. I've always heard them said that. I don't know for any official stance from the company if there's an official pronunciation. <laughs> but we put those all in set, even ourselves, even though we're not, we don't really do much government work outside of schools. Uh, we install them. They're on a separate network that has no internet access. Mm-hmm. By the way, you still, to this day, a brand new Hikvision camera requires Internet Explorer with stupid ActiveX controls to configure. Jeez. Oh, no. So not ActiveX, in, anything but that. Well, it's because the firmware on them is that old. So actually, I think because the firmware on them, it, it, well, it's been updated, but it's not really, it's been updated to co- make it compatible with the recording equipment, but not been updated. I imagine it's full of security holes. This is why it's always on a separate network, always not accessible to the internet. It only talks to the NVR. That's that's how we set them oh. up. Yeah, and that's how it should be. Yeah. So you kind of, that's how you mitigate attacks on them. And there's no other, sorry, there's just not enough manufacturers and when it's price driven, the access to give a comparison, one hundred fifty dollars for a decent Hikvision camera, six hundred dollars each for the access ones. Mm-hmm. They're not in the same price category. They're yeah. very different uh, things. So yeah, you want this cool U.S. company? They're <laughs> totally different animal. <laughs> so hmm. it is what it is. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out because, like you said, with, there's not a lot of companies doing it. It's a very unique piece of hardware when it comes to five G. Maybe there's an open source contender. Maybe, you know what we should do? Someone should whisper in the president's ear or tweet it um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and basically say, well, you know, if you did open source, we could we could audit it. But I don't know if he likes that audit word that much. <clears throat> All right, moving on. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Uh, so a few things that uh, I've been seeing around my work uh, is this. Uh, if you live in the southeast Michigan or Ann Arbor area, there's um, the Ann Arbor Tech Trek where uh, they, uh, there's a few uh, places throughout uh, downtown Ann Arbor you can go through and, and see the cool technology that's being developed, and they're talking about it. Um, so that's June 7th. Uh, and then there's a hackathon also happening the next day, June 8th and 9th. And it's, uh, so it's overnight. And what it is, you, you, uh, if, I don't know if uh, you guys know much about hackathons, but... Um, for the listeners, uh, what what you do is you get a team together, and you decide on a project you're going to work on, and then everybody comes together at this hackathon, and you start working on it, 
And what the hackathon gives you is a place to develop, and there's some mentors that come in and help you work through that project. And then by the end of the project, or by the end of the hackathon, whoever can produce a working model of whatever it is, then they go in, they're in the running for a, a, a prize. Um, Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's actually at my work. And I'll be working during the hackathon. We'll come so, uh, yeah, so if anybody <laughs> puts together a team, uh, let me know, and you can uh, let me know. Yeah, and I'll come over and say hi. That'd be great. I'll bring some hackers. Yeah. You know, hacking's fun because I explain to people when you go to, like, the DC through and 3 to DEF CON 3, as we meetups we host here, it's like a giant show and tell. People are always afraid, like, well, will you guys make fun of me because I'm a noob? And I'm like, no, 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 it's the opposite. Like, hey, want to see what I'm doing? Do you want to learn how to do it too? That's yeah. how that in the, the there's a crossover between the hacking community and the Linux community, and I've always found it that way. Like if I go to a Linux conference, everyone's willing to show you everything they're working on and get excited and talk about, which makes it kind of fun. Like the hallway track, as the uh, we've always oh, goes yeah. like, what's your favorite track when you go there? Oh, <laughs> right. the hallway track, man! I learned the most there. Yeah. Uh, I also yeah. uh, Jay Street calls it LobbyCon. Was, he goes to a lot of uh, conferences, uh, hacking conferences, and we're like, what's your favorite one? He goes, oh, LobbyCon every time. Yeah. He just he goes in buy a ticket. You just hang out in the lobby. They check your badge if you go in. I don't care about going in. You can just all the people that are excited walking out of each talk, like strike up a conversation. You get the disseminated version. They'll tell you what they thought was really cool. And it didn't cost me three hundred dollars a ticket. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which we just did that. Uh, Converge was uh, last couple days here, um, and it was less hacky, more. Um, talking, I don't know if any of you guys Security. went. I went to it last year. I really wanted to go to this year. You but didn't miss it. anything. The people who went last year were very were a little bit more disappointed. They said it became more corporate, more vendory than uh, uh, previous. They that's said how much, I felt it was uh, several years back, um, Converge and B-Sides. Yeah. I was pretty disappointed it was a vendor show. Yeah. Mm. And that's they, uh, there's no B-Sides now. Oh, interesting. So, which, which is why they said it's just a vendor show now. Oh, um, man. So you didn't miss anything. I'm oh, glad okay. I did not spend the 150 a ticket. I had other things to do, and I was disappointed. But then my friends who went said they were disappointed, too. They felt like they wasted two days there. Yeah. They said without B-sides there, it didn't have that same pail. There was many more suits and more people talking about, you know, talk about how you need to check the list to make people, you know, compliant in these things. Mm. Oh, great. Bureaucracy talk. Hooray. Hyper-converged systems. Right. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we realized the politics of it important. Um, those are I let someone else do that because that's why I don't do compliance auditing because right. people think that's the technical side. No, 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 that is the least technical side. That's that's the bureaucrat's dream. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it needs to be done. It's just not going to be done by me. It's <laughs> yeah. always where my interest starts to fall off. But yeah, but you uh, know, just to be clear. This this hackathon isn't like hacking into no. systems or security related. It's it's hacking together a project like. A, uh, yeah. software development. Yeah. yeah, so if you have an idea for a project, you bring that to them, and mm-hmm. or you have a, hopefully a start on it, not an idea. Don't come in there pitching. Yeah. <laughs> I will warn you if you go to these, because uh, oh, a couple of years ago they had some in Detroit that went really well, uh, but if you start with an idea, you want someone to help you on it, um, you'll find, you get a lot of knowledgeable people in the room together say, hey, this is what I got so far, uh, how do I make it do this thing, and uh, a bunch of smart people will make it better. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. All right, we reached the end, or uh, what else we no, got? Jay has oh, a few Jay, oh, sorry. Yeah, I just have a, I just have a few things because I didn't get a chance to catch up on the notes. So just a few quick ones. Um, even though I'm not a KDE Plasma user primarily anymore, I do follow along with their development because they are always doing some really interesting things. And I'm looking at a 
blog from a uh, developer named Kai, and his blog is titled Next Generation Plasma Notification. So he is rewriting that. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that's going to be um, apparently in 5.16, which is due to be released in June. And what this will entail, like I mentioned, is a completely rewritten notification system. So obviously, um, you know, you can't see screenshots in uh, recording, but he's showing different screenshots here of the different types of features, which everything looks more consistent. There's progress bars in, um, you know, in the notifications, which it had before, but of again, it's going to be a lot more uh, consistent. And there's going to be a do not disturb mode that's going to be there. <clears throat> Um, progress reporting has been rewritten, and so has notification history as well, so you can go back through. And I think at least some of these have existed in previous versions of Plasma, but they're just redone, and everything seems to look a lot better. Like, they even redid the settings module for it. Yeah. So definitely, like, it's almost like he woke up and decided he really doesn't like the way notifications are in Plasma and decided to completely redo it. <laughs> so... Um, you know, the do not disturb is really important. And, you know, yeah. a lot of people use it on their phone, but you think, what do you want it on your laptop for? But say you're giving a presentation. Yeah, or you're you recording a YouTube video. emails popping up. Yeah, or I, recording. Yeah, I've had to edit that out before. And that's a Pop! OS thing uh, as yeah. well. So the default GNOME does not have a do not disturb button. Right. But it can be enabled, turned on, obviously. And that's an enhancement that they, you know, have turned on in Pop! OS. That, back to why we like it. I use that a lot. That's like, yeah. hey, cool, check this out. I can just, oh, okay, cool, no, no more little pop-ups because sometimes I'm recording videos and sometimes people message me. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, I've had the same experience as well. And then this happened with Mozilla. They had a rough night with add-ons getting disabled due to an expired oh, certificate. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those situations where if you are like a fan of chrome you could say haha i use chrome so that doesn't impact me but actually chrome had a very similar issue with their app repository i just couldn't find the article in time uh, to put it in the show notes but it did happen with chrome a very similar problem so um you could say shame on mozilla but you can actually say, say shame on both because they both had around the same time period a very similar problem. So anytime these long-lived certs uh, yeah. expire and then a system breaks, I always think that's funny because yeah. you would you would think it's easy just to set a calendar reminder for a, a, an entire team. You know, so what if that one person is gone? The, right. Somebody else on the team needs to be able to know. But then think back to the Equifax hack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. For the the reminder went to four hundred different engineers, um, and no one dealt with it. Yeah. Except That's for the sad. American public. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> According to the article, it's saying add-ons like Netflix, Amazon Assistant, Grease Monkey, Ghostry, NoScript, uBlock Origin, and many other popular browser add-ons ended up getting disabled at midnight, and the publication date here is uh, May 4th. May the 4th be, or may, the 4th may not be with uh, Mozilla in this case. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically... are going to remember this day in the future, and I'll throw it out. Yeah, yeah, the day the, day the um, add-ons kind of went dark there. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely the dark side uh, took effect on them, unfortunately. Uh, I didn't actually notice this problem myself, maybe... They had it fixed before I would have noticed it, or maybe I just don't happen to use any plug. Well, I do use uBlock Origin, so maybe if no. I was getting more ads than normal, that could if be a problem. If you didn't close your browser, it didn't break. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'd never closed my browser, so that's yeah. probably why I never had a problem. Mm -hmm. I probably should do that more often. Um, finally, I had an article about Tilex, which is one of my favorite terminal emulators. I don't use it anymore because I find it kind of bloated, but it's bloated in a good way because it has a, a, a ton of features in there. 
probably one of the most featureful terminal emulators I've ever used. And it, it says Tilex Terminal Emulator needs a new maintainer. So uh, Gerald, the developer, says he'd prefer to spend more time working on other things that interest him. So they're basically looking for a new maintainer. And that kind of worries me with a terminal emulator because I know maybe the attack surface isn't like as big because it's not listening for connections, but you are using it to develop networking and connect to you know other hosts and things. So security impact if something goes unmaintained and, and doesn't get CVEs addressed. I mean, you could make an argument that maybe that it would affect a terminal less, but you can also make the argument maybe it'll affect it more if you're actively like um, exchanging data between yourself and a and a server, so things like that kind of uh, bother me. So for example, URXVT is actually my favorite terminal emulator. I don't use it anymore. I like it because it has no features whatsoever. I just use Tmux. So um, basically all that stuff, just uh, just keep it out of my way. I don't even need features. I, I use mm-hmm. Tmux for that. But it hasn't been updated in so long, I just don't feel comfortable using it. So Tilux is actually a really awesome terminal emulator, so I really hope that they do find another maintainer and keep that going. I never going. think about it, I just use console. Yeah. That's what's built into this one. So yeah. whatever comes with Pop! OS, I've never changed Pop! It OS is, is uh, GNOME Terminal, and then if yeah. you're on Parrot, you're probably using Mate Terminal. Uh, it's console on here, K-O-N-S-O-L-E. Oh, they, they changed it to that? That's what the default is on here, at least. Oh, so they're using a, a Plasma Terminal emulator. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't actually know that. That's, uh, that's good to know. But like you said, I fire up. I have my custom way I've got Bash configured for yeah. on, on the login, and then I fire up Tmux for the other things I need to do. Yeah, so if I need tabs, I don't use tabs in, in GNOME yeah, Terminal. That's I, I use tabs in Tmux, and then it does essentially the same thing. Plus, I have the ability to you know, close the terminal and then open the terminal and get my tabs back. Uh, the only annoying thing was they started, I think it was like a seven-point font as their default, and I have no idea who thought that was a good idea. Um, it's like unreadable. I mean, my eyes aren't <laughs> bad, but I felt old for a minute. <laughs> Wow, that's very, very small. I don't think I've ever seen that. As I don't know why before. they defaulted like that. I had to bump the font was up. Was it a default. bug, maybe? As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> 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 i got to get around to reporting it. I don't know if it's something yeah. I did or uh, that because I because I didn't load it off the official. I did that add-on to load both desktops. So I don't know if it's something got missed when you do that. But I didn't try to repeat the bug because I changed it. And I don't, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're a developer looking for a project... Check out Tilex. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. you can uh, help them out if you know whatever yeah. language theirs is written in and, and, give, yeah, and maybe an take it over. Very cool. That's all I have. Very cool. I have an article I found from the FCC. Um, they are finally going to work to, quote-unquote, stop the scourge of illegal robocalls. Um, this comes oh. after Chairman Pai started getting robocalls on his work phone. <laughs> so... Uh, thank you, FCC, for finally doing something for the American public. Those robocalls have been driving me crazy. I don't answer my phone anymore, ever, unless it's a work call, because it's like I have a certain ringtone if it's the company yep. phone system. I know it's work-related, and I answer the phone. No other time will I answer you know, the phone. I wish Google – I love the Google screening. One of my problems I have with it is they have not added, but it's actually been requested by many people – to add Google call screening to any unknown number. Like if I don't have it saved in my phone, just send them a Google call screening. Yeah. Um, that, mm-hmm. Cause that's my mental way of dealing with it. If I didn't save your number in my phone, I just send you a Google call screening. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that's the same with me as well. And I have obviously some contacts and people, family members, things like that. Yeah. I'll answer the phone for them. Yep. But if it's anybody else, if it's I'm here like Holly, Michigan, and then there's a, I don't know anyone there. So, yeah. or I, I do, but I, they would be in my contacts exactly. list if they were important yeah. to me. So 
I don't answer it, but it's one of those things that just just my phone well, goes and because off. Because of phone calls are probably my least used function of my yeah. communication device. It's like so. we, yeah, I have a communication device, and people are able to call me, but it drives me crazy when people call me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's my least used function. It, I use right. it for messaging more than I'm. Messaging is like superior in every way. Same. I'm and not games. answering my phone. Uh, that you know, when people actually start talking to me, that I tell them I'm disappointed that they're not offering me uh, auto insurance. I've spent more time on my phone playing Pocket City than any other use case on my phone, which is a SimCity simulation or Mm. or, or clone, Mm. basically. And that's like the most time I spend on my phone. For for me, it's balloons. That they release a new version, and that game is truly addictive. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And the final thing I have before we close the show out is an announcement from Let's Encrypt. Um, They Let's Encrypt announced a certificate transparency log named Oak. Um, The Oak log will be operated by Let's Encrypt, and all publicly trusted certificate authorities are welcome to submit certificates to it. So certificate transparency, for those who don't know, is a system for logging and monitoring certificate issuance. It enhances everyone around the globe's ability to monitor and study issuance from the uh, various CAs. Um, These... This audit capability has led to improvements um, to the CA ecosystem and overall web security. All right. Very cool. Awesome. Very neat. I like that it's called the Oak Log. That made me happy when you said that. (laughs) (laughs) There is a folder on Steve, one of my staff's desktop, that says log files, and it's just lots of pictures of wood. (laughs) (laughs) And he has emailed that to so many people, because every time they say, can I have the log files, that they give them, because we get people who send us very generic messages, he always replies. He is so excited to use that. I would be too. He uses it on me more often than I wish, because I'll say, can I have the log files to that? And I will not specify what I'm asking the log files for. (laughs) He should know context. But he is obviously right. I should be specific, so I will get a picture of a log immediately. So. Now, I wonder if there's any way to partner with uh, trees.org, which plants trees for the future. Oh. For, for every certificate that's issued, they'll plant a tree or something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's a lot of trees. You guys issue a lot of certificates. Half a billion Half. at this point? We can use like more that. trees, though, too. So mm-hmm. we really should, Yeah, we need more trees for sure. All right. I think that's... Yeah, I think we've come to the end of the show. All right. Um, We're always not sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So you've been listening to the Sunny Morning Linux Review. This was episode 307. Night of the Living Damon. This is Tony Bemis. Jay LaCroix. Phil Parada. And Tom Lawrence. See you guys next time. You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. If you would like more information about this or other shows, go to smlr.us. Feel free to send comments to show at SNLR.us or give us a call at 734-258-7009. I'm John Miller. If you don't like it, you can bite my 8-bit metal ass. That's bite with a Y. <laughs>